Hello, and welcome to the Jubilee Church Podcast. Jubilee Church exists to help all people know God, find family, discover purpose, and make a difference. If you would like to learn more or connect with us, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. Welcome to Julie Church. Whether you are in one of our physical locations or you are watching online, we are so honored that you have decided to join us today in our series on emotional and mental health. We kicked this off a couple weeks, not just on Sundays, but in our groups where we are partnering together in community to love each other, to create safe places where it's okay not to be okay, but leading each other and encouraging each other to Jesus, who is the one who leads us to green pastures and to still waters, even in the midst of our enemies, even in the midst of chaos. And mental and emotional health have been on decline in our country for decades. And that decline was accelerated during the pandemic. So the pandemic did not create that trend, but it certainly accelerated, which is why we are talking about it. We wanna take the time to address this Uh, We love you. We care for you. We believe that Jesus is going to meet you as we open up our lives and be honest. And the first week we took we took a look at the issue of loneliness. Last week we took at the took a look at the issue of depression. And today we are going to take a look at anger. I want to talk to my angry people out there, which is why I brought my preaching helmet. Um, You can never be too safe. I may say some things that may trigger some people. So I need to be safe. I brought my preaching helmet. I mean, the reality is it is, uh, there is a lot of anger out there. There's a lot of outrage out there. Everyone seems to be on edge, almost to the point that when we meet someone who's totally chill, we're like, man, what is wrong with that person? I mean, do they have their you know, medical marijuana card or, or what's going on with them? They should not be that chill. We live in a culture of anger and outrage. Everybody is so angry. Everybody is. Um, in fact, I heard a counselor say that, that you're probably nursing an anger issue if you've ever made one of these statements. And so pay attention to this. I'm not angry, I'm just frustrated. Why can't I have a bad day why, why, without it being such a big deal? Oh, I, I guess you've never made a mistake. You're just being sensitive. I'm sick of being the only one who ever says, I'm sorry. Sorry to unload on you, but I just needed I don't know about you, but I can find myself on that list. Um, During the pandemic, I watched a whole lot of Marvel movies and my favorite superhero is the Hulk. I mean, he smashes, he gets angry, he turns into a a superpower and in cartoon land, that is a superpower, but in real life, it's not a superpower. It is a super problem. It causes all kinds of problems relationally. And if you're a Christian, man, it ruins our witness. And uh, we're seeing a lot of rage and outrage and anger, not just in our culture, but actually we can see it in the church as well. We just end up pushing people out of our lives because of our anger. We are truly living in a culture of anger, rage, and bitterness, widespread divide. There's angst in every conversation. I read one article in Time Magazine a few years ago that titled, America's Anger is Out of Control. It said that rage uncorked becomes rage indulged. Rage indulged becomes rage applauded. And once it's applauded, we have permission to crank up the machine to 11. And as long as we don't, we're not the ones who initiate it, 
we feel okay to pile on and we have piled on. This is of course true in the political arena, but it's deeper than, than that. I don't, I don't encourage you to do this for your own emotional health and sanity, but if you were to Google groups with outrage, you would see this, vegans outraged, dancers outraged, gardeners outraged, fishermen outraged, knitters outraged. Now I had to click on this one. This is what happened. They were not recognized by the Olympic Committee and the article says angry knitters invade U.S. Olympic Committee Facebook page. And here's what I say, man, if you've got knitters enraged, we are, tr this moment in history, this cultural moment is truly characterized by anger and outrage. We live in a world where we, uh, we f our posture is knowing that we are right and feeling as though we are wrong. Let me say it again. We, we live in a culture where, where we have the posture knowing that we are right and feeling that we are wrong. And this is getting perpetuated and perpetuated. There's underlining resentment everywhere and the knives are out and ready to fight. Outrage was a big deal already before 2020. And then the pandemic happened and the, the past 18 months, hate has gone from something that was a part of our culture to really an asset. In fact, um, Facebook has picked up on this and they have discovered that it's easier to inspire people with anger than any other emotion. And so if you know anything about how the algorithms work, they've changed their algorithms uh, to get anger uh, out there because the more there's anger, the more you comment, and the more there, you comment, the, the, more you're, the longer you're on their pages. And the longer you're on Facebook, the more money they make. And that's what it says. Facebook makes more money when you consume. This is a, a quote from an insider. Facebook makes more money when you consume more content. People enjoy engaging with the things that elicit an emotional reaction. And the more anger they get exposed to, the more they interact and the more they consume. And this is something that Christians are just not immune to. I mean, we've had, we've had these things. We've had, you know, a few, five years ago, six years ago, the whole issue was Starbucks and Merry Christmas. And some Christian uh, blogger put this up that Starbucks is against Christmas because they didn't put it on their cup and everyone just piled on and no one even thought to ask any questions. Like Starbucks has never put Merry Christmas or Christmas on their cups. Uh, and so this outrage was actually fueled by not the truth. Christians who want to pursue the truth were not actually living by the truth. It was never, in fact, here's the thing. It's not even Starbucks' job to promote Christ. That's your and I job. That Starbucks' job is to make coffee and they make really good coffee. Our job is to promote Christ. But we jump in on these things and we end up looking foolish with our anger. We did it with Costco. Costco mislabeled. They put, they accidentally put a Bible in the fiction section and then they went and then it just went crazy and we just jump on it. We, we jump on these things because we're so angry. We're so on edge. We're so easily offended. And that just isn't happening between us and culture, happens between other Christians. It's interesting too that this, this lack of love for each other and this, this, this propensity to be angry and, and enraged at what's going on is it a sign of the end times? No one talks about the end times in this generation anymore unless it involves climate change. But before many of you were born, the end times were a very big deal. It had to do with horned beasts and the European Union and lots and lots and lots of charts. But Matthew 24 says this. It says, and then many will be offended, will betray one another and will hate one another. Then many false prof prophets will rise up 
and deceive many. And, the, and because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, but he who do, endures to the end will be saved. This is fascinating. Offense leads to hate. Hate leads to betrayal. And then there's a loss of agape love between brothers. And that's what we're seeing. And this is all perpetuated. It says by false prophets who will rise up and deceive many. Now, here's the thing that this is the problem that the elders of this church have over the past decade or so. See, before we, we could see, we can see the people coming into our midst. We could see the false prophets and we would kindly ask them to go somewhere else. The problem is, is that you and I have false prophets all over our phone and we just take it in and we take it in and we take it in and the rage and the rage begins to build up. So much so that we begin to have a disdain for another brother or we lose the plot and we, uh, this rage gets uncorked on culture and we start blaming people. We start blaming non-Christians for not acting like Christians many false prophets. Now, the good news is you and I have been given resources in the gospel uh, to deal with the hate, to deal with the anger, to deal with the rage. And we have a way to be a witness to a broken world. And I, and I want us to feel this culture moment in this culture moment that is characterized by division and, polar, and uh, being polarized and, and pushed to extremes and hatred and rage as we uh, know less and less and less about each other. There's less and less understanding. There's more and more division. You and I, here's the goodness. You and I have been given the ministry of reconciliation, bringing this all through. And in the gospel, we have resources to do something about it, which I think I find kind of exciting, actually. So we're going to go to the scriptures today in Ephesians 4. The context of what we're getting ready to read is Paul has spent three chapters explaining at his best, I think, how Christ has forgiven us, how God has forgiven us, that we live in a constant state of forgiveness we live in a constant state of forgiveness that has fundamentally changed who we are. In fact, he says we need to put off our old man that, that, gets, that does things the way the world does things. And we need to put on this new man that does things the way Christ does things, which of course has massive impact on our relationships, on our families, in the world and in the church. So Paul, we're gonna pick this up in verse 26 of chapter four, where he says, be angry, and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Now, first, I just, it's, it's worth noting that Paul, in, in a way, commands us to be angry. There's an imperative that sometimes you must be angry. Some of us were raised with the idea that, that, that feelings of anger are always wrong, which is actually not true. Uh, that's not a Christian idea. Buddhists teach that the annihilation of emotion is a virtue. That's not what Christians teach. Christians don't believe that. Rather, the, the Bible teaches that, that anger... Um, is a necessary part of love. Uh, anger is love in motion to deal with the threat of someone or something that we really care about. So actually to really love someone is at times to feel angry, which may sound bad, but think about it. When you love a person who's dying of cancer, you have anger toward the cancer. You know, I love my kids and and, and I'm angry at the moral cancer, at dishonesty, at, at, at rebellion, things that I, I see destroying them. So, so there's a sense to which there is an, there's an anger that's a part of love. Jesus was a person who got angry. We see that, that, that oftentimes, at least twice anyway, where he would heal someone 
And then like in Mark 3, he healed someone with a withered hand and, and the Pharisees um, were upset because he did something wrong on the Sabbath, that they were more concerned about the religious rules than they were about compassion for this person. And it angered him. It grieved him. It wasn't just that he was mad and uncorked and, you know, I'm going to give the Pharisees a piece of my mind, but he was grieved in his heart that he's trying to bring love to the world. He's trying to bring compassion to the world. He's trying to bring healing to the world. But there's sin that's getting in the way. So it's worth noting that, that our anger can be righteous, but hold your horses, stop the presses. The Bible is going to promote extreme caution and skepticism about our anger. In fact, James 1.20 says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. It's worth noting that, that, that not all anger is bad, but let's be honest, most of the time, uh, and let's go ahead and say 99% of our time, our anger is not producing the righteousness of God. And here's why. It's, it's that we love the wrong things or that we love the right things in the wrong order. Again, like I said, anger is a part of love. And, and one of the reasons why we get angry is because what we love is that is being threatened. So St. Augustine said, the root of our sinfulness is disordered loves. If what we love is messed up, then our anger will be messed up as well. It, it is not wrong, for example, to, to, to value your reputation, to value your name. But if, if you love those things too much, you will get, inordinate, you'll, you'll get, you'll get an inordinate amount of, uh, of anger whenever your ego is insulting. If you love control, if you love convenience, when those things are threatened, you'll get angry. That's why you and I should always analyze our anger. And that's actually one of the, uh, the big teachings of the Bible holistically about our anger. For example, Psalm 4.4, a similar verse says, be angry and do not sin. That's what Paul said, be angry, and do not sin. Ponder in your hearts on your beds and be silent. In other words, when you get angry, you need to stop and pause and analyze, why am I angry? Proverbs 20, 29, 11 says, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Saying the same thing. We need to ponder, we need to analyze. Here's a good question to ask yourself. In fact, I'd write this down if you're taking notes. What am I loving so much right now that my heart is moved to feel angry? When you are angry, it's associated with the love. That's why it's not always bad. So what is it that you are loving what am I loving so much right now that's causing me to be angry? And you may get to the root of the issue. There's nothing wrong with being angry, but you have to ask yourself, why am I 10 times, 100 times more angry about this thing that may be small in the grand scheme of things when, man, there's so much injustice and evil and in my own life, much less the world. So it's a it's actually the root of our anger is stuff that we, that we love that's wrong or things that we, uh, good things that we love or we, I should say, overlove. James 4 says this. He says, what causes quarrels and fights among you? Okay, that's the culture we live in. It's maybe the, the marriage that you live in. It could be the family you live in. It could be whatever that you, you feel these quarrels and these fights among you. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder, you covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then he says this, you, you have not 
because you do not ask. So according to James, the reason why I fight is because I'm not getting what I want. I want something from you and you're not giving it to me. And I have this need for respect and you're not respecting me. I have this need for love and you're not loving me. And so these desires become adulterous. So he says, the reason why you don't have these things that you, your heart deeply, deeply wants is because you're not asking God for it. There are things that we are expecting from other human beings and this world that Jesus never promised that we would get from these human beings or the world. He promised that he would give them to us. And we don't ask him, so we don't have it. So we go around to the world, to other people and trying to extract them from them. And all it does is create quarrels and fights, expecting that other people should be giving it to us. I'll say it this way. Our anger says 100 times more about us than whatever the person did. So our anger says more about us than whatever it is that we're angry about. It doesn't say, so sometimes we think our anger is about the other person. We think the anger is about the other situation, but our anger is actually revealing something more about us than it is about whatever it is that we're mad about. So we need to seek to understand. We need to seek to understand ourselves and we need to understand maybe the other person. Maybe it's our spouse. Maybe it's someone we're in group with. Maybe it's, it's someone across the street. Maybe it's, maybe it's Starbucks. Proverbs 18.2, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Do you know one of the most common phrases I've heard in the past 18 months? It's this phrase, I don't understand. I don't understand why that person does that. I don't understand why that person does this. I don't understand, you know, why they don't think racism is a big deal. I don't understand why they do think racism is a big deal. I don't understand why they think the pandemic is a big deal. I don't understand why they don't think the pandemic is a big deal. I don't understand. I don't understand. You know what the key phrase there is? I don't understand. A fool takes no pleasure. A fool (laughs) takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. And so we get on social media and we say things that we should just not say. I've heard people say, you know, a real Christian would not vote for Donald Trump. A real Christian would not vote for Joe Biden. A, A real Christian wouldn't oppose immigration. A real Christian wouldn't be afraid of the pandemic. And so we put all these things out there without actually trying to understand And we just crank up the rage in our culture and in our own heart, and it's destroying us. So he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, which means a couple different things. Number one, it means that we do it in a timely manner. Uh, Selfish anger. So you know what? I'm just gonna let them stew on that for a little while. It serves them right. But but that that anger not only puts them in a place like... uh, Righteous anger is going to want to bring relief to the person, but it's also it's destroying us. And, and that wound festers over time and it doesn't hurt them as much as it actually hurts ourselves. Verse 32, Paul writes, be kind to each other, um, which is more than just being nice. In fact, that word kind is the same word that Jesus uses when he says, my oak is ye- easy in uh, Matthew 11. To be kind, therefore, is to make the situation as easy as possible for someone else. So what it means to put on the new man, what does it mean to operate in the forgiveness of Christ is when there's conflict, when you're angry at someone, I'm gonna make it as easy as possible 
this person. I'm going to go to them. I'm going to give them a story. I'm going to give them a narrative to where we can reconcile as quickly as possible. Or it just means forgiving them and, and letting God deal with them. It means that I can trust God. I, I don't have to fix all the problems. I can allow God, um, you know, it says in Romans 12, uh, do not repay evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If, if at all possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with doing good. Heaping coals on their heads, as Paul sees it, will do one of two things. It will either wake them up to the injustice that they are doing to you, or it will increase God's judgment on, on them that the day they bring vengeance. But either way, you can release it and trust God, knowing that he has forgiven you and so that you can forgive others, which means that when you are angry, when you are hurt, when you do wanna lash out, to, to live in the forgiveness of God is, is, to, is to first apply it to yourself before you apply it to others. And then it says, give no opportunity for the devil. Give no opportunity for the devil. Other translations say, give no place or foothold to the devil. It's like a military word. It's, it's an inhabit, inhabited place. It's like this base of operations. Uh, and so what ends up happening when it says, don't give a foothold to the devil, it says that when you don't forgive, when you stew on your anger and you remain anger and you don't deal with it in a timely manner, you actually, you actually invite the devil in to create a base of operations where he can begin to launch attack after attack. And notice this is something that he doesn't take from us. We just give it to him. He doesn't take a foothold in our lives. We give him a foothold in our lives. And the enemy's like, hey, you know what? I don't mind if I do. I'll go ahead and do this. And um, so we, we can, we, when we hold on to our hurt, when we hold on to our pain, um, we invite the devil into my life. Just, you know, come and hurt me some more. Come and hurt my friends. Come and, you know, just spew bitterness on other people. Let's, let's just be angry. Let's just be mad. And the, and the devil's like, yeah, I'll, I'll do that if you want to let me in. And, and this is just something that we give him. This is not spiritual warfare. This is just waving the white flag and say, enemy, come on in. I, I'm not even going to try to do this. A refusal to forgive your brother, check this out, is a willingness to co-labor with the devil. A refusal to forgive, a refusal to forgive your brother is a willingness to co-labor with the devil. That's why Ray Ortland said this. He's a pastor in um, Nashville, Tennessee. He says, this is why I don't trust my anger. This is why I don't trust my anger and I don't trust yours. If you come recruiting me for your cause and your appeal is look how wrong they are, we've got to do something. Well, they might be wrong. They might be worse than you think. But the early Christians did not say in dismay, look what the world has come to. They said in delight, look who has come to the world. You see, and that's our focus. 
Our focus isn't what other people are doing. Our focus isn't what this world is coming to. Our focus is, man, Jesus has entered the world. Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has healed me. We, that means that whenever time we are offended, that um, we, we are not nursing these relational wounds, but we are first seeing ourselves as a, the one who sins and not the one who sinned against. We don't primarily see our ones as the offender. We are, or excuse me, we're not the one who's been offended. We are the ones who have offended when we look at the gospel rightly. And I just see so many Christians confused right now. The job of the Christian, by the way, is not to stand up for truth. Sometimes we, we feel, we got all these little things in our life that we feel like are really important to us. We feel like we got to stand up for these things. The job of the Christian is not to stand up for truth. The job of the Christian is to love God and love people. He made it very simple for us. This is what I want you to do. If you want to fulfill all of what I want you to do, here's it is. You love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength. Like you focus on me. You make your passion me. And I want you to love other people. I want you to pour your life out for other people. When you read the gospels, it was the Pharisees who thought they were the ones who were supposed to stand up for truth. And over and over again, they got it wrong. And I don't want you to go down that path. I don't want you to go down the path of a Pharisee where you believe your job is to point every wrong out and you've got to get on Facebook and you've got to point it out or you've got to you know, give them the cold shoulder or you've got to teach them a lesson. That is not the way of Jesus. That is the way of religion. And it fails, it fails to recognize the grace that God has shown you. And so we got to be quick to forgive. We got to be quick to let go of the anger. We got to be quick to let go of the offense. What he has asked us to do, he has asked us to be an ambassador for Christ. And and let me tell you, Christian, that's going to make you be at odds with the world. You know, I've heard so many times, especially as the culture has has deteriorated over the years, and, and there are some things that are troubling about our culture. And I hear sometimes people say, I just don't feel like America is my, feels like home anymore to me. Well, if you're a Christian, it should have never felt like home. We are from, we have a different citizenship. We represent the values of the kingdom. We are here on assignment to represent Jesus, to represent him, to promote him, to tell people, to appeal to people. This is what Jesus has done for me. He has forgiven me. He has freed me. Now I'm new. I'm different. I'm not bound by the things I was bound by. I am free in him. I am free to love. I am free to give away. And so we represent that. In fact, what we are called to do, we are called to be different, to be separate. And then we are called to reconcile, to have this ministry of reconciliation, to be reconciled to God and to be reconciled to others. And one of the things that I find so troubling in this culture of outrage and division, where everybody has their finger on the trigger and everybody goes to their own echo chamber, which, you know, if you know anything about social media, makes it 10 times worse is that we will never actually be the people of God. We will never actually be ambassadors because we're in our own little worlds where everybody in our circles affirm who we are and what we do. And the bad people, the ones out there, the, you know, the ones that we're angry at, the, the ones that we're mad at, are the ones that we're actually meant to be the bridge. We're actually meant to walk in and, and broker this relationship with God and them. The fact that you're different from the world should not cause you to be enraged, but should cause you to be engaged in his mission.
So here's what I wanna invite you to do. I wanna invite you to receive the grace of God afresh, to contemplate what Christ has done for you, that he's done a new thing, that he's broken down the wall of hostility that divides us, that divides black and white, Republican, Democrat, whatever, whatever the division is, he has broken that wall down. And we need to walk in that newness of life, to put away anger, to deal with it in a timely manner. Yes, there's gonna be, we're gonna be upset at things, but man, maybe be upset with the sin of the world. Maybe be upset with how the devil is torturing and, and twisting the lives of some of the truth and so many people. And our job is to go in there and be the truth police. That's what the Pharisees did. Our job is to go in there and say, hey, this is, this is what Christ has done for me. I was once like this, but now I'm like this. I wanna invite you in. I wanna show you the love of Jesus. And then we demonstrate it, right? That's what we're supposed to be. In a culture that's divided, we demonstrate the unity of Christ, which means that we have to lay down our anger. We're not getting, sometimes when we say things like, oh, they're just gonna get away with it. Oh, they're just gonna get away with it. They're not gonna get away with anything. God said in Galatians 6, God will not be mocked. We do reap what we sow. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of it. You can trust me. So here's the real question. The real question is, can we trust God? Can we have the faith in God to believe that we are who he says we are, that we have what he says we have, and he'll do what he says he'll do. He'll build this church. He loves people. He will do away with evil. Nobody's gonna get away with anything. But in the meantime, you and I can demonstrate just how loving and powerful he is and by God's grace, I believe, man, I just believe that we are living in a moment that is so prepared for the church to step on center stage. And I hope that we feel that. Let me pray for you because we need to experience God in a new way. God, I just thank you for the love that you've poured out on us. It's a love that we don't deserve. God, you deserve to be angry at us, eternally angry. Your wrath poured out on us, but your wrath was poured out on Jesus so that your mercy is new for me. You're, you have mercy for me. You have love for me. You have compassion for me because of Jesus. And God, because of Jesus, may we express that same love and forgiveness and mercy and compassion to others. Amen. <laughs>